0: Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Friday, May 6, 2022. Kind of an important day in Disney animation history. It was on this day back in uh, 1916. Adriana Caselotti, who would eventually voice Snow White for Walt, she was born in back in your neck of the woods, Drew, Bridgeport, Connecticut.
1: She was born in Bridgeport? Good Lord. Bridgeport, yeah. Yes. Yeah, have, you, have you ever been to
0: Bridgeport, Jim, in your travels? I had wanted to go. They have the P.T. Barnum Museum there. Yes. In yes. A, a really cool building by the highway, and I had actually yep. made plans to go visit. And then they had that hellacious storm that actually damaged the museum. And, you know, every couple of months or so I check in to see, cause they, they announced are right, restoring the museum, all of the exhibits are uh, stored nearby in some sort of used to be a bank. But, yeah, I've been dying to go there forever.
1: One day we'll we'll make it to Bridgeport, Connecticut, Jim.
0: When I'm up would, there and you're up there. Cool. No, I'd, I'd love to we'll do, do, it. do it. I'd love to do it. Okay. Also on this day in 1940, Walt Disney Studios completed its move from Hyperion Avenue over to those state-of-the-art digs uh, that Walt had built along Riverside Drive in Burbank. And then finally, uh, a sadder note, uh, 2005, uh, it was on this day we lost Disney legend Joe Grant. Uh, he was 96 but he passed away and was still working for the company. In fact, the very last film he worked on, 2005's Chicken Little, was actually dedicated to him. You also have a, a little bit of animation news, right?
1: Yes. Um, it's the final Amphibia, which I know that we're both big fans of Amphibia. We Jim, are. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, I think it's a nice juxtaposition to all this stuff that we've been talking about in terms of shows being canceled or mm-hmm. taken out of development, that this is a show that went out on its own terms. You mm-hmm. know, it, it was set up and it uh, followed through on everything that it wanted to do. And now it's bowing out. So, yeah, the third season is ends and the series ends next saturday so i got to talk to matt braley maybe we can break some of that down next next week ahead of the um, finale yeah i mean
0: i mean i i did see was it matt who was talking about things were left just open open enough that he was hoping for a gravity falls amphibia owl house crossover (laughs) (laughs) at some point which let's do um, it i think that's a great idea he, you know, there's a big there's a book
1: coming out, Jim. You know, we love our um, <laughs> journal three from Gravity Falls. So mm-hmm. there is a fully illustrated amphibia that kind of tells things from another character's point of view that we get into in our conversation. So, you know, the the lone piece of amphibia merchandise out there.
0: Wow. Oh, cool. Yeah. cool, Cool. All right. Well, again, folks, we got a lot of news this news this week. And as always, the news portion of fine-tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. This past weekend, DreamWorks Animation's Bad Guys was number one at the domestic box office. Again, second weekend in a row. To date, it has sold 47.8 million to North America, 82.6 million uh, overseas, for a worldwide total of, what, 130.4 million. Bad Guys was able to have a, a great second weekend, but face it, They're fighting quite a headwind this weekend with Multiverse of Badness, which, did you see the numbers for just the Thursday night preview screenings? 36 million worth of tickets, and and just today, the trades are reporting that the opening day of Doctor Strange 2 uh, was going to do 85 million in North America alone?
1: That's crazy.
0: That puts them over $120 million already, and... Weren't they initially just sort of lowballing it, the, the effect of we think 175, maybe 200 for the opening weekend? It's just
1: crazy that we're talking about
0: these numbers for
1: a Doctor Strange movie that is the <laughs> sequel to a movie that came out in 2016.
0: But yeah, it is. Yeah, I long. think I
1: think I don't know. I I just want I want everybody to be kind of like you know to just just chill. However much it makes is great. Mm. You know, it's just. We've never seen a movie like this that's been a sequel to not only the Doctor Strange movie but the Spider-Man this No Way true. Home and WandaVision. I mean, this is a movie that's a sequel to a TV show. It's pretty interesting in yeah, that, that respect.
0: That's quite a Venn diagram you got going yeah. there. In a weird sort of way, maybe this would work out for bad guys. Face it, if people go to the, the movie theater and they want to see Doctor Strange but get you know, all of the screenings for the day are, are now sold out, they got to watch something. Yeah.
1: And it's also very scary, so I feel like it. it's mm-hmm. a little bit more intense than your normal MCU movies, So that'll make maybe the families can veer towards bad guys. I'm very interested in seeing, too, if it will show up on Peacock soon. Uh, you know, they talked about, I mean, I think Trolls was in the theater for 16 days or something. And
0: something like that, Most yeah. of
1: the things are going on Peacock, Peacock after 45 days. So I'm very interested to see what yeah. what will happen there and if that will impact
0: things. Right now, it's on track to pass the theatrical release of Boss Baby Family Business, but Boss Baby was in theaters and on Peacock, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, yes. okay. So, yeah. quick question. Again, you go to the multiplex this weekend, and Doctor Strange is sold out. Given what you've just seen of the Sam Raimi film, would it be a better choice to, say, go see... Everything, everywhere, all at once? Would that be the equivalent, visually? Or, or... I mean, that,
1: that's an amazing movie, and they probably did it... I think Jamie Lee Curtis was joking that they did it on the catering budget for <laughs> uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange. So, what they were able to accomplish... I mean, I talked to the visual effects guy, who was one of five people on the movie working on visual effects. Um, that's crazy. And it's just amazing. You should watch it, Jim. It's a really wonderful film
0: um just to see the, the world where everybody has hot dog fingers
1: yes <laughs> yes <laughs> all right. and that was okay. definitely one you do not take the kids to so okay
0: yeah. all right duly noted all right so we're just talking mcu so it's only fair that we pivot to the dc side of the street and this past week we got a brand new trailer for dc league of super pets which looks fun ish no disrespect to Jared Stern. He's the guy who's helming League of Super Pets. And Jared has proven in the past he can make DC characters funny. This is the guy who wrote the Lego Batman movie. But these trailers for DC League of Super Pets, I just don't get who the marketing team is trying to convince to come show up for the, these movies. I mean, it's just, you know, I get that kids like toilet humor, but where are we going here? But if you look at the July 29th release date, that says this is a film that the studio has enormous confidence in. I mean, that's right in the middle of summer blockbuster season. Again, I want the the Super Pets thing to work. And I do honestly have an interest in seeing what Keanu Reeves does with Batman's voice. But what about you? Well, I think the look
1: is very off to -hmm. me. Like, it's done by... The animation is handled by Animal Logic, who yeah. I think are some of the great sort of animators in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. They did Happy Feet and the Lego movies. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's very... Like, the fur... I mean, maybe this is because I spend all day looking at my dog's fur <laughs> up close. But <laughs> there's really nothing kind of, like, furry about mm-hmm. them. Like, you look at May in... Mm-hmm. Um, turning red with when she comes becomes a panda, and you just want to mm. hug her. Like, you want to reach into the screen and hug her. Mm-hmm. And there is just nothing like that. It's really weird. They're just kind of slick and antiseptic, and I, I agree that the humor is very toilet-centric. And, yeah, I just, I wonder, I hope it's going to work. I know that Warner Brothers is super proud of it. I mean, mm-hmm. the weird thing, too, is that Warner Brothers only has two movies opening this summer, theatrically, that and Elvis so yeah i i don't know i want it to work but yeah that trailer did not instill a lot of confidence in me
0: well Wonder brothers animation actually does an amazing job with its line of dc home premieres mm. that it, it regularly releases the warner brothers home entertainment in fact we got another one of that series earlier this week constantine uh the house of mystery that hit store shelves on on may 2nd and Did you get a review copy of this? Did you get to see it? No, I
1: didn't. I I watched uh, Catwoman Hunted, which is now on HBO Max, which is really really fun. It's kind of like the Lupin. Mm -hmm. It's it's complete. It's Japanese animation, and it's like a the Lupin take on on Catwoman, and it's super fun. You should really watch it, Jim. I think you'll have a really great time.
0: Yeah. On the other hand, (laughs) Constantine: The House of Mystery. This picks up where Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, uh, which Warner Brothers Home Entertainment released two years ago on, on May 5th. And in this home premiere, Constantine sends a flashback in time to create a new flashpoint. And then Constantine wakes up in the House of Mystery with no recollection of how he got there. And each room he enters, he's set upon and murdered by his friends who are now demons, which to me still this sounds- is this,
1: that, this is this movie or was thats that-, is that- Justice League Dark.
0: This is Constantine House of Mystery, which again, him being murdered by his super friends. That, that still sounds better than listening to Batman's dog talk about how bidets are drinking fountains for dogs. So, yikes! <laughs> Quick question: The folks who do the the, the DC home premieres are, are they actually on the Warner slot? I mean, I I know. The folks who do Disney television animation, all right, I'm getting the name wrong again. It's Disney branded television, right? Well,
1: I think, what did you tell me, Jim? That Disney television animation is now a part of Disney branded? Like, branded is the
0: superstructure? <laughs> you know, again, the, the material I get from them, it toggles back and forth. They seem to be interchangeable. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you saw that they were releasing art earlier this week for the continued changes at Epcot. And they walk this art out not as concept art, but as marketing art. Wow! This is also in that same window of time, where whenever Imagineering talks about something they're they're about to add to the parks, they talk about how it's an activation. Which of the films I, I, I forget? You know, stop trying to make fetch a thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like activation and marketing art. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. So again, are the, the, I think they're so I'll
1: tell you the building I believe they're in is, you know, if you're going down Riverside towards Disney yeah, and there's that building on the right, that Mm -hmm. is right before the, I think it's the New York film school building. Oh, they're in that building as far as I can tell.
0: Okay. So not actually on the lot. Okay. Not on the lot, but
1: I think they might be consolidated in that, that new Frank Gehry building, which is being built. Right cool, now. Cool. All right. Yeah.
0: That is kind of the standard for the industry. I And mean, face it, Disney television animation isn't on the Disney lot there. They're up in Glendale somewhere on Sonora, as I recall.
1: Yeah. They were. They are across from the old Disney. Maybe they moved into Disney Tune studios, but.
0: Yeah, that was a great facility.
1: I think I'm the reason that they said <laughs> no free snacks or something. Cause I would always go over there and steal candy. Um, from, uh, yeah, Disney Tune. Well, maybe the my one. candy theft <laughs> caused them to close down Disney Toon Studios. Maybe that, maybe I, I am the responsible. Hope re- you're happy, Drew. Jeez.
0: Yes. Okay. Speaking of Disney television animation, earlier this week they tweeted out that they are now working on their 100th animated series. The thing they put out, I think they showed this poster that has all of the logos for the 100 animated series, which was kind of cool. So are you familiar with series number 100? No, I hadn't heard about this until you told me about it.
1: So do you want to tell what people what it is? Sure. Milk and Cookies.
0: Uh, it is based on Sean Amos's semi-autobiographical book of the same name which deals the adventures that Sean had with his dad Wally back in the 1970s when Wally Amos was getting his chain of cookie stores up and running. That's right. This Disney-branded television show is going to tell the origin story, sort of, of famous Amos Cookies, lightly or maybe quite heavily fictionized. The the logline reads along this effect. Uh, Milk and Cookies follows the summer adventures of harmonica-playing middle schooler Ellis Johnson, as he begrudgingly helps his wildly optimistic and possibly quite magical dad open the world's first cookie store in 1970s Hollywood, California. Again, press material is somewhat... Confusing because it, it refers to a singular teleplay for, for milk and cookies because everywhere else, which suggests one show, like we're doing a special, but everywhere else, Disney is talking about how milk and cookies is an, an animated series that's currently in development at their studio. By the way, folks, if you would like to check out the book that this, uh, Disney's animated version of milk and cookies would be based on, it's going to be published later this month on May 24th. It will be published through Little Brown's Young Readers Division.
1: You're going to go to Barnes & Noble and ruin the ending, is my guess.
0: It's milk and cookies, Drew. The cookies get damp. It falls off in the moat. The end. Okay. You know, well, as long as we're we're talking about animated series. Last month, Drew, you wrote that amazing story uh, for The Wrap about Netflix stopping development production on five of the animated series they had in the works. I was really startled when I discovered that that one of these shows, Dino Daycare, came from Chris Knee, the, the woman who brought us Doc McStuffins. Did you see the statement she put out after? Yeah, you know, that Ma- wasn't in
1: my piece. I think that was in one of the follow-up pieces. I only mm-hmm. talked about three shows in mine, but mm-hmm. since that came out, I think there have been several more yeah. shows that have kind of bubbled up. That they're stopping production, but her show seemed like a no-brainer. I think It's the
0: woman who did Doc McStuffins and it's dinosaurs in a daycare center.
1: Yeah, it's the world she was talking about sounded very cool. Like it sort of sounded like good dinosaur-esque almost where the dinosaurs were kind of like growing up alongside people and it and it was about a girl who wanted to take in these kind of dinosaurs, misfit dinosaurs in this daycare. Which I thought sounded so cute and I'm sure would have been
0: really great. Can you imagine the executives at Walmart and Target right now, okay, who are sitting in their offices drinking because they aren't gonna to get to sell the dino daycare lunchboxes, plush t-shirts.
1: I think you're giving I think you're giving Netflix too much credit there, Jim, considering how poor a job they've done to merchandise their other shows. Which was an area of contention to the creators that I talked to mm-hmm. during my investigation um, is that there is just no there's no consumer products there's no marketing tie-ins you know unless it's the only thing they really do that way This like stranger things and maybe bridgerton so maybe that's a reason maybe you know she didn't want it on netflix if there was not going to be any kind of ancillary um stuff out there it's
0: so weird that you said it because i was in target and there was 30 to 40 different Stranger Things products. So they can do retail when they want to. But again, something like, I know daycare would have been, no brainer doesn't even describe it, but they're a strange company. In fact, I saw you earlier this week on social media commenting on Netflix's response to your rap story. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, Jim. So they they responded to my piece basically by having a really hastily written blog post that they put up but what was interesting is that one of the show well a number of the shows that they cited as being like these exciting new Netflix shows uh are all licensed <laughs> they are like you know Boss Baby and Sonic and Dragons and stuff like that but the other thing is that the uh, Me and My Human or whatever that one is called that one was actually in development alongside Centaur World and City of Ghosts. So that show is is actually not a new show that's coming out. That is an old show that they just have not released yet. So it was a little bit of a disingenuous response. And I will say that when I wrote the article, I told Netflix... Listen. If you want to refute this, give me five shows to announce that are very exciting and cool. Now, this is not to say I don't think there are any. I th- I hope that there are some exciting shows coming out, but uh, I don't think that press release really uh, calmed people down. Especially when they, you know, there were reports coming out, le- you know, earlier this week that Meghan Markle's show got canceled. It's like, well, nothing is safe <laughs> over there.
0: Uh, uh, Well, again, it's Netflix. Uh, Their version of we don't talk about Bruno is we don't talk about cancellations. So, oh, speaking of Encanto, uh, that Walt Disney Animation Studios film had been bubbling up in interesting ways, which Drew and I will discuss on the second half of today's show. I know you and I talked about that heavily hyped version of We Don't Talk About Bruno that they did on the Academy Awards back in March, right? That was terrible. It was terrible. That was absolutely terrible. It was. But did you see the version earlier this week uh, that was done on American Idol? dated Disney night.
1: No, I mean, I'm very aware of Disney night, but I did not know that they did. uh, We don't talk about Bruno.
0: How was it? They started the show with it, and it was actually surprisingly good. But uh, to be honest, probably one of the reasons it was surprisingly good is it featured Adassa, the, uh, the voice of Dolores, and Rene Felez. He's the voice of Camilo from Encanto. And Adassa has really been making hay while the sun shines here. She also appears... In a video version of We Don't Talk About Bruno, which was done by the Brigham Young University Vocal Point Group, I, I guess it's a young performers group, but it's it's up on YouTube right now. It's really quite cleverly staged, especially the final portion of the song. and. Adassa did, in fact, have a career as a singer prior to Encanto. I mean, she had three albums. She had songs that had considerable airplay and spent some time on the charts. I and mean, she's collaborated with Missy Elliott. But now that the continuing popularity of We Don't Talk About Bruno is suddenly the thrust of Adassa back into the spotlight. And she is happily saying yes to whoever wants to have her come sing Dolores' part in that song again.
1: I think the BYU performance, Jim, will be a nice uh Counterpoint to the Under the Banner of Heaven series on Hulu, a nice kind of whole Mormon night there. Yeah.
0: Oh dear. Interesting that she's becoming a celebrity of sorts on the back of Encanto because the only real name actor in that cast, I would argue, is John Leguizamo, the, the voice of Bruno. And you know, it used to be that you saw a lot of big-name celebrities doing animation, and it's not that people are completely stepping away from this. I mean, we're just weeks out from when Lightyear opens, and Chris Evans' voice is the title character in that. But it's certainly different than it was back in the mid-'90s, Drew, when, you know, you had Mel Gibson as John Smith or Demi Moore as Esmeralda. What I always found fascinating is how Disney found its voices. Walt used to find a lot of his voices on the radio. For example, Clarence Ducky Nash, you know, he found the voice for Donald Duck, who was driving to work one day and and heard this guy on the radio. Likewise, Jerry Colonna, who did all sorts of work for Disney, he was, you know, a part of Bob Hope's radio show. And that was like, ooh, there's the voice for the March Hero. Ooh, there's the guy we need for our railroad cartoon. Whereas when we got to the 1960s, Walt really did cast out of the TV Guide. Have you ever heard the story about how Dean Jones got hired by Disney?
1: No, I mean, I assume that there was there was some kind of trap in the forest and Dean Jones just walked <laughs> by and they kind of kept him... Uh... In the you know in in the back
0: of one of the stages, but no. he did do quite a bit of work for Disney. But yes. in the weird sort of way, it may have been the laziest piece of casting in the history of Hollywood. The wonderful world of color aired on television on Sunday nights on NBC starting at at seven thirty. Well, NBC had a half hour sitcom for two years in front of the show called Ensign O'Toole that Dean Jones started and the show really didn't do all that well. And eventually it got canceled and Dean's like, well, what am I going to do next? And he gets this call from Walt Disney to the effect of, Hey, can you come into the studio? And, you know, we're going to do this thing called That Darn Cat. And I really, I enjoyed seeing you on the show before my show. So, hey, why don't we work together? And it was just sort of like, Dean was like, you know, if my show had, I would have never gotten hired by Disney if my show hadn't run before his show. And Walt would tune in, say, for the last 10 or 15 minutes, you know, we are waiting for his show to come on. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at the animated features during the 60s, they're Ava Gabor and Pat Buttram, you know, who did their first work for Disney in Aristocats. I mean, this is when they were both on Green Acres. Even after Walt was gone, that then became the tradition at Disney about what would Walt do? It's like, well, Walt cast people off the of television. So let's get, you know, Bob Newhart to be Bernard for uh, The Rescuers. And it was only when... Disney reached out to Howard Ashman to come work on The Little Mermaid. The things changed. Then the company began, you know, looking at, you know, I mean, Howard knew his friends from Broadway. In fact, Jodie Benson, the voice of The Little Mermaid, she had been in Howard's show, The Smile, the thing he was doing with Marvin Hamlish that had a really short run on broadway in fact jody's big song in smile is a number called disneyland you ever heard the song drew
1: no i've never i i did i want to watch the original movie that smile was based oh. on as well i know somebody put it out on blu-ray recently so i might have to do some digging on smile <laughs> You know I love me Some Howard. Yeah, so.
0: it's a, it's a pretty cynical comedy from from the 70s about the, the beauty pageant game. Even during that period Disney was still trying to sort of revert to its old playbook when Howard was looking for somebody to voice the Sea Witch. Well, you know the stories about B. Arthur, right? I had I had not heard this, but I mean it makes perfect sense. Disney has this new big hit, The Golden Girls on NBC. And the notion was, oh, we get to see which and, you know, and and B had done Broadway. I mean, she was in the original MAME. Her husband, Gene Sachs, directed a lot of the Neil Simon comedies on Broadway. So, you know, Howard knew of of Gene and her husband. She was like, oh, that would be cool. Yes, let's reach out to B Arthur and see if she'd be willing to be the voice of Ursula. And so they begin the overture and they figure, well, she's already working for Disney. We're halfway home. And they get this note back from B. Arthur's agent to the effect of Miss Arthur is very offended by this offer. Because you're asking her to play a witch. And, and it's funny to think, but no, no, no. It's it's a sea witch, it's the little mermaid. It's a great song. Did you look at the song? And so she said no. And so but in a weird sort of way, Howard's like, Don't worry about it. I know exactly who to go to and goes quickly and, and grabs Pat Carroll and the, the rest is history.
1: Who's still doing her and she was in in the the Mickey Mouse short last year, I think, or two years ago. yeah, yeah, crazy, but
0: there are people who have said no to Disney when it comes to anime features. I mean, we know about Harrison Ford. They wanted for Kershak in Tarzan. Likewise, Chris Rock, I you know, I mean, I, I guess Chris Rock said no to Turk. And it supposedly insinuated that it was, Somewhat insulting as an African-American man to be asked to voice a gorilla in the story of Tarzan. But then when the yeah. folks came calling for Madagascar, the zebra character, absolutely, I will take that on. Do you know of, of, of any other? Well,
1: I mean, the famous one is Jack Nicholson, right? Like, that's yeah, that's the big but one. but that was
0: money, right? Yeah. I mean, he was willing to do it, but he wanted Joker money to do it.
1: I mean, when when we talk about the celebrity era of the animated film to me the kind of like nadir of it i guess Mm. you would want to say is the is the brad pitt sinbad movie that Mm. was like kind of obviously katzenberg was super horny for celebrities and uh he was he was you know and that movie just did nothing and i I think it's Mm. a pretty good movie but you know i think I,
0: I agree. That was, I agree,
1: but- you know, everything kind of like we had the, you know, Robin being in Aladdin was kind of the upswing. Mm-hmm. And then that was sort of like the, okay, maybe we don't need uh, everybody in it. And then we, you know, we've heard some famous, you know, some people getting swapped out at the last, you know, last minute, whether it's Bill Macy and uh, Finding Nemo yeah. or Elizabeth Banks and in Inside Out or whatever. But
0: yeah. I would pay good money to hear Bill Macy's take on, on Marley. Yeah. That version of the film where it's, you know, again, you don't even learn about the tragedy till, you know, it's all done in flashbacks and you don't get to see the full barracuda attack till like two thirds of the way through. Yeah, I think
1: it was at the beginning of the third act that you finally get it.
0: But that's also the version where William Defoe's angelfish character is revealed to be a liar the whole time. And it just, I mean, there's there's so many ideas they tried with uh, the original Nemo that didn't make it on the table that are just fascinating.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the Encanto thing is great, will end up being great, I'm sure, because Mm -hmm. they're all young performers who, you're right, are not huge Mm -hmm. names and don't have a lot of... Obligations for other things, and you know we've heard Jeppek repeatedly call this the new Disney franchise. Mm -hmm. So, you know it helps when people are ready to go, Jim, and eager to be on Dancing with the Stars or whatever, whatever it is that comes up.
0: One of the reasons I'm I'm really eager to go out and catch the bad guys in theaters is Sam Rockwell's work as the Wolf really sounds great. But likewise, Aquafina as the Tarantula character. If you think about it, Aquafina did the film. She also did a great job in Ray and the Last Dragon. Likewise, was a lot of fun in Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And do you remember how Ben Midler was in everything for Disney in the 1980s?
1: I mean, Jim, who could forget the the classic short film, The Lottery, filmed on location <laughs> at the Disney MGM Studios? A movie I still don't believe exists completely, but. Uh,
0: I actually saw it, and in fact, I just came across a great story of when Gary Marshall was shooting this thing on the back lot. They picked Gary to shoot the lottery because he had just finished making beaches with Ben. You know, they get along fine and it's hey, we have this special project and could you come to Florida and do it? So they set up on New York Street. You know, and they they, they start, they're going to do the exteriors in the newly finished New York street. And so they'd spend, a, you know, the earlier part of the day dressing the set. They put down cigarette butts and they put down trash and they put graffiti on buildings. And so they finish shooting for the day and it's like, okay, that's a wrap. And they put up the science hot set and they go home and they come back the next morning and every bit of set dressing, like the cigarette butts have been swept up. The graffiti has been scrubbed off of the buildings. You know, <laughs> you know and it's, what happened? And it's like, it's Disney's, famous custodial team you know just <laughs> came in at night and it's just sort of like oh somebody's gotten the theme park dirty <laughs> and they think you know and it's like no no the theme park is over there you know this is the studio you wow. you can't do that
1: did they sell this movie at at mgm like when you were going
0: no it's just oh, okay when you doing the tram tour they actually mentioned, "Oh, you're you're driving on New York Street, and later today you'll get the opportunity to see a, a special film that Bette Midler shot on this, The Lottery." You know, and so then you you watch The Lottery, and then there was literally Drew. There was an entire soundstage space where I, and you have to remember the way that the the backstage studio tour worked is you had these these tour corridors that were. Two and three stories off the floor that could look down into yes uh, the soundside spaces and they had the they actually had louvers that they could open and close just in case the cast and crew were feeling self conscious lower the louvers in but you're on the second and third floor but in order to get down to the theater uh, where they showed uh, the Michael and Me film and then would show you coming attractions for the very next things Disney was doing they had to create a way for you to walk down from that second and third corridor space down to the ground level and what they did is you you it was these these series of ramps that took you past costumes and sets that you'd seen just seconds before in the lottery film. It's like, oh, there's the subway setter. Oh, there's the inside of, of Bette's apartment as a music teacher. And, you know, but you, you it was the way the imaginators got you back down to the ground level. And then I think at this point you got into the the post section. I mean, this was the place where you saw the the sound design film it paired Mel Gibson with Pee Wee Herman, and yes. I think the editing thing that they had with Goldie Hawn and Rick Moranis. I mean, anybody who yes. worked at Disney at that time was in this thing.
1: What a magical, magical time!
0: There were many words I would use to describe, <laughs> you know, that movie. Magical for, a, for a,
1: l- listen for a, an eleven-year-old kid to go through that and like see everything and see all the animation. It was. It had a formidable experience. It's it's like the Farrah Fawcett poster of your childhood, Jim. That was the Disney MGM Studios early years for me. You know, it really really left a mark.
0: You have to remember, I was born in '59. I believe it was the the Raquel Welch and the, okay. uh, the one what? million, the years, million BC. years there we go. Yeah. All right, you know, lots of animal fur. So. <laughs> That's entirely too much information, folks. Okay, so speaking of information, I have to share with you this piece of information. If you were not listening to Drew Taylor's Light Diffused podcast, folks, you are missing out on some truly amazing stories. What are you guys doing this week?
1: This week, uh, I forget who we're talking to this week. Next week, we're talking to David Vickery, who's actually a VFX supervisor for ILM, who mm-hmm. just finished up work on this little art house movie called Jurassic World Dominion. And he was actually... The VFX supervisor for DNEG for Rogue Nation, so we talked to him, and he gives us a lot of great stories and how they pulled off some of the amazing, the very invisible effects for for Rogue Nation.
0: Cool, cool. Oh, definitely sounds like something to worth listening to. Uh, speaking of which, hopefully we have a couple of of shows here that you might want to listen to as well. We've got a Disney dish that I do with Lentesta, we've got Marvelous Disney I do with Aaron Adams, and we just uh relaunched uh looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gong and people seem to be enjoying that and looking forward to getting the chance to talk about the stuff that's coming over the horizon from uh, the, the Lucasfilm folks like the Obi-Wan Kenobi limited series which starts up tail end of this month. Can't wait to get
1: back to Tatooine, Jim. It's been a few weeks. Need to see what's going on there. A lot of sand, I'm imagining. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> any any uh, other planets
1: in this universe we could go to and, maybe
0: and remember the future <laughs> of the the Star Wars franchise that's what we want to do in the parks because people right. aren't interested in what happened in the past no, no not at all no okay if you're not following Drew on social media you're you're missing out on some great stories and some really funny comments uh, can you tell folks how to where they can find you on social media
1: yes uh, Drew Taylor like a tailored shirt did you see Jim that I got a lot of. <laughs> A lot of people liked my funny uh, Guardians of the Galaxy tweet about that pre-show. I don't know if you saw that.
0: Yeah. 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 It's just. Pretty embarrassing. Yeah. Strange moment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, For us on social media, you can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Finally, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and we'll not only rate and review what you're listening to now, fine-tuning, but also light the fuse, uh, that would be very helpful. And I think that's going to do it for tonight. So uh, thanks for listening, folks. We did it, Jim. Uh, We got
1: through another episode.
0: We did, we did. And uh, again, uh, the show will have posted by that, but happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. and. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, 53, not terrible for a showy, basically.